last but by no means least, I'd like to introduce Cadence Kinsey, who's a lecturer at York University, who's going to talk about information pattern coding. Thank you. Um, I'm thrilled, really thrilled to um, be a part of today. It's been a really wonderful event. Um, I spend most of my time thinking about the internet, so I'm really, really grateful to Bryony and Marta for giving me the opportunity to kind of redirect my thoughts um, slightly. So, walking around the Annie Albers exhibition to a soundtrack of alarms as visitors peered ever more closely at the objects, trying to become intimate with the delicate patterns on display, I was struck by a series of tensions, or um, as David put it in his paper earlier, these different interplays between um, sameness and difference and regularity and irregularity. But for me, what struck me particularly about the work of Albers was a tension between surface and structure, or between splitting and layering as the shafts of the loom kind of split open the threads and organize them into layers. Or between grid and network, seen not only in the meshworks for null textiles or the clustered knot drawings, but in Alba's own participation in different artistic networks, from the Bauhaus to Black Mountain College, that would take her beyond the modernist grid to working with concepts such as the event. But perhaps the most important pairing for me, as someone who writes about digital technology, is the pairing of text and textile, captured by Alba's imperative to let threads be articulate. The 1936 work, Ancient Writing, made in Cotton and Rayon, sets forth the textile as a form of nonverbal communication, and we've heard a little bit about this already. Made in the year after Alba's first trip to Mexico, ancient writing referred to coded or ciphered character languages. For Alba's, textiles, along with cave paintings, were a form of ancient communication that existed long before the written word. There is weaving before there is writing. As Maria Mullah-Sharek notes in her catalogue essay, this is made explicit in works such as Code from 1962, where you can read the lines from top to bottom. As a form of communication, what is at stake in the woven textile is not just the sense of what is shown, but how. Pattern, as a form of visual communication, is the information image, which is to say the image formed in such a way that it is organized and ordered into a system and made legible. And here pattern does not suggest a mode of viewing aligned with a flat, detached opticality, but is informed by the sense of touch. And, um, apologies, it's not visible in this slide, but ancient writing um, uses a technique called brocading, in which embossed forms sit on top of the surface of the textile. Such techniques emphasize the inherent tactile sensibility of textile, to use Alba's term. It is an experiment in tactile-textile illusion. If there is an element of touch in looking at these works, then no wonder all the alarms were going off. 
As you probably guessed, I'm not a scholar of Alba's work, nor am I a scholar of textiles, but I am interested in technology. And it is this aspect of weaving as a communications technology that I want to think a little bit more about today, to set out a few thoughts about this idea of an information image. In the 1970s, Alba's pairing of text and textile was picked up by the artist Beryl Coro, who has worked extensively with text and the politics of information across a body of work that incorporates weaving, print, and video technologies. Text, or textus, and weave, texto, writes Coro, share the same Latin root. Text is a tissue or fabric woven of many threads. It is a web, texture, structure, a thought, something that can be built, raveled, unraveled. Coro, who studied literature at the University of Wisconsin before moving to New York in the late 1960s to take a job on the New York Review of Books, is perhaps best known for her work as editor and co-founder with Phyllis Gershony of Radical Software, which ran for 11 issues from June 1970 until the summer of 1974. A core agenda of this publication was to challenge and resist, in both theory and practice, the increasing dominance of proprietary technologies such as network television. By enabling its readers to seize hold of the then emergent medium of video in order to reconfigure relations of power and control. In the opening address to readers in the inaugural issue of Radical Software, Corot and Gershony wrote, power is no longer measured by land, labor, or capital, but by access to information and the means to disseminate it. Videotape can be to television what writing is to language. These ideas can perhaps be seen in Lost Lasso Bull, an early video work by Corot from 1973 that centers around the image of a painting of a bull in the caves at Lasso. And here we might be reminded of Alba's own interest in cave painting um, alongside textiles as one of the earliest forms of communication. In this work, Coro filmed an image of the painting in a book, then using the live capabilities of video to simultaneously watch and record at the same time, the artist layered this image with another, creating a mise en abime that recalls other well-known video works made in the same year, such as Linda Benglis's Now. As the image gradually breaks down into static interference, there is the suggestion of information not simply mediated, but lost through technology and time. Of interest to Coro in both her video and publishing work was therefore not just the production of information, but crucially its dissemination and the means of access. A key realisation in this regard for the artist was the way in which both print and video worked by encoding and decoding information in lines. Written language runs across a grid, whether from top to bottom or left to right and right to left, while video works by an electron gun inside a cathode ray tube building up a picture in lines. As we saw in Alba's textile code, this is true also for weaving. And Corot, who was interested in Alba's work, noted in 1974 that in all three communications media, so print and video and weaving, the, in, the image is encoded in line and the material substrate is organised such that it creates legible pattern. 
Like Albers, Coro foregrounded the way in which textiles have served as a prototype for other communications technology. And here I'm thinking about communications technology in its most expansive sense, so um, not just video, but language and crucially written language as a technology. The video structure of woven cloth, based on the build-up of lines, writes Coro, precedes human writing by thousands of years and holds a key to the organisation of visual and textual information. This interest in line, as the underlying structure of weaving, print and video, comes together in Coro's installation, Text and Commentary, which was first exhibited in 1977 at the Leo Castelli Gallery and was acquired by MoMA in 2016. And it was on show um, fairly recently at MoMA between November 2017 and early 2018 as part of their exhibition, um, Thinking Machines, which is an exhibition that probably needs to be thought about in the context of this um, recent kind of explosion of institutional interest um, in thinking about relationships between art and information technology, and specifically art and the internet. Described by Coro as a handmade work created for the camera, the text and commentary is a five-channel video installation of 33 minutes in duration, which is shown alongside five weavings in linen and wool, five weaver's notations in graphite and coloured pencil on paper, and six pictographic video score notations on photostat paper, and I haven't really been able to find any good installation, um, any good documentation of the installation where you can actually see the, weaver, the weaving notations and the video um, score notations terribly well, so apologies for that. But I do have a video. <coughs> So that's just a kind of a one-minute clip of the um, of the images that you would see um, on the the five video screens that are mounted um, in the installation. <coughs> and so on these screens, we see images of Coro weaving, a technique that she learned at the YMCA on Lexington Avenue after becoming friends with the weaver Marilis Downey, who is married to the Chilean artist Juan Downey. These images were made by hanging a camera from the ceiling at varying distances so that while some of the screens show images of Coro at work, others show a close-up of the textile itself. At the very end of the video, each finished woven textile faces itself on the monitor pl placed opposite. 
The installation is organised such that the viewer sits on a bench between video screen and textile so that they are incorporated into the system and not outside of it. While the accompanying drawings so that show the numerical basis for the pattern on the textile, the pictographic notations illustrate the time structure for video. As I've been suggesting, at the heart of text and commentary is an interest in the visual organisation of information through line, how pattern, or the information image, might come to express meaning. As the pattern of the textile emerges through the gradual build-up of the thread, line by line, there is a visual echo of the way in which picture is also built up inside a video monitor. In exploring line, Corot is interested in, she says, how information is stored in us. It is a way of transmitting stories that extends across weaving, video and print. This underlying structural connection between video and weaving is also at play in Corot's use of the multi-channel installation format, a technique that she has explored in other works such as Dachau in 1974. Um, and although this work doesn't actually include any woven textiles, the way that the images are organised kind of across the video screens follow a weaving structure. Corot has suggested that for her, the loom is an important precedent for the idea of the multiple. And at stake in this is the capacity of the multi-channel installation to challenge the authority of television by refusing a single-channel linear narrative. Echoing the ideas elaborated in the pages of Radical Software, Coro has stated that the video multiple could refuse the model of the spectator of electronic broadcast media as a passive recipient of information and give rise to a new mode of viewing. In articulating these relationships between weaving and video, Coro opens up a new pairing, a commonality, she has said, of the ancient and the modern, the old and the new, and this is a crucial idea in thinking about technology that can helpfully destabilise assumptions about progress or radical breaks and ruptures. This is not to suggest that all forms of communication are inherently the same. Indeed, the title, text and commentary, refers to the woven text and the video commentary about it. It is a conversation in a room of different ways, says Corot, to express the same information but within the limitations that every medium naturally has. Given the materials and processes employed in text and commentary, it is perhaps surprising that gender hasn't provided a significant context for thinking about this work. And there are a number of art historical conversations in this regard that it crisscrosses. Conversations about the importance of video, for example, as a medium for both female and feminist artists that, when it entered the consumer market in the late 1960s, was not only unburdened by pre-existing critical discourse, but was portable, affordable and easy to use. And in the images that I'm just going to be showing, I've sort of uh, just picked a few indicative images, but of course in these fields there is real embarrassment of riches. Or conversations about the idea of women's work, the gender dimensions of textiles are well known and have been elegantly elaborated by scholars such as Rajika Parker in relation to notions of class and manual labour, or more recently by Julia Bryan Wilson in relation to the categories of high and low, fine art and amateur. And although the gendering of textile is well known, it is far from straightforward. 
since although the meshing of women's work and artwork could affirm the cultural contribution of women, and importantly here we must consider that contribution through the intersecting lenses of class and race, it was also seen by some to reaffirm a difficult, essentializing connection between women and craft. Such questions were brought into focus by the pattern and decoration movement, another conversation that text and commentary existed in parallel to rather than at the center of. In a 1978 article published in Heresies entitled Art Hysterical Notions of Progress and Culture, the artists Valerie Jordan and Joyce Kosloff argued against the idea of pattern as women's work, seeking to unpick an essentialist framework for craft, decoration and ornament. By looking outside of Western histories, they challenged not just the gendering, but also the ethnocentricism that had informed the historical denigration of craft. And significantly, this text focused on how language had been used to communicate the supposed moral superiority of art of Western civilization. But although these conversations provide a rich historical framework for thinking about text and commentary, they have not been central to the way in which the work has been contextualized, either in its institutional settings or indeed by the artist. Instead, what is most often foregrounded is the centrality of pattern as information, and crucially, text and commentary is one of the earliest works that I know of to make the connection between the histories of weaving and the histories of computing. The thing that attracted me to the loom was its sophistication as a programming tool, said Corot in a 1977 New York Times article. It programs patterns through the placement of threads, in a numerical order that determines pattern possibilities. It is like the first computer on Earth. What Coro is gesturing towards here is the fact that weaving, um, and this is whether manual, <coughs> mechanical, electronic, or digital, operates according to an algorithm that determines the pattern. And it is this that gives rise to the idea of a multiple, as described earlier, since an algorithm is what really enables a pattern to be produced and reproduced. The loom is also like the first computer on Earth, since, as many in this audience will know, it was the Jacquard machine, a control mechanism developed in the early 1800s that could be fitted to a loom in order to automate the patterning of textile that provided a model for what is often described as the first computer, the analytical engine developed by Charles Babbage with Ada Lovelace in the 1840s. Like the Jacquard machine, the operations of the analytical engine were controlled by a system of punch cards that remained in use in computing until well into the 1970s. These punch cards carried the information needed to produce the highly complex patterns of textiles, such as damask or brocade, on an industrial scale, and were in many respects a proto-binary system. And they are seen as a proto-binary system because the sequencing of hole, not hole on the punch cards is often seen as what functions in a similar way to the, the one, the zero, the on, the off of um, binary code, although there are some complications to that and maybe there's an opportunity to say more. Um, so what I'm showing here is a picture of um, an, an analytical engine that is held in the collection of the Science Museum, but these machines weren't built until, um, they certainly weren't built kind of during the time of Babbage and Lovelace's work, and it's great that um, Caroline earlier showed 
the punch cards uh, system of the, of the Jacquard loom so that you can see the kind of comparison with the operations. We may say most aptly, said Ada Lovelace, that the analytical engine weaves algebraical patterns just as the Jacquard loom weaves flowers and leaves. As someone who usually writes about digital technology, what is striking for me about text and commentary is not just that it draws together different lines of thought. So the idea of weaving as a form of communication, like writing, um, and here we're coming back to this relationship between text and textile, the significance of the multiple and of line, or the histories of video and computing. Rather, what is striking for me is the way in which the work acts as a provocation to think not just about textile as information, but information as textile. What would it mean to think computing through weaving? What might weaving tell us about information <coughs> technology? And I want to finish then with a few initial thoughts about this. First, we come back to the idea of women's work. As Sadie Plant and Wendy Chun have shown, it is because of weaving that a feminist politics can be folded back into the history of computing. And it is significant here that women are the developers and programmers of technology and not simply the operators of it, employed to perform repetitive piecemeal tasks, whether as telephonists and typists or as textile laborers in factories. Second, we can bring the body and notions of being back into thinking about information. Built up line by line, pattern is the information image that is indexed not just to an algorithm, but to a body. Weaving notation gives instructions to hands and feet, says Corot. It is a computer, but it is humanizing. As N. Catherine Hales has discussed in her work on the histories of information, it is the legibility of pattern, as opposed to randomness, that signals presence over absence. So there must be a body both to convey information and a body to receive information. In this, perhaps, the narratives of abstraction and immateriality that linger around code can be redirected through pattern, the inseparability of information from its material substrate, its tactile sensibility. And thus, thirdly, weaving as a challenge to the forms of passivity that inhere in proprietary technology, as described by Coro in the pages of Radical Software. The textile as an active embodied way of working, and um, the textile as a constructive process. Thank you very much.